Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Nick Kiprios. Nikos, or Nick, played eight NHL seasons for the Washington Capitals, Hartford Whalers, New York Rangers, and his hometown team of your Toronto Maple Leafs. Post-hockey, Nick pivoted to a broadcasting career primarily spent with Sportsnet, where today he can be found both on the Leafs TV regional studio team and co-hosting the Real Kipper and Bourne radio show slash podcast along with Justin Bourne. And because he has so much free time, Nick is also an entrepreneur with not one but two ventures on the go in the Little Buddha Cocktail Company and his Next Rewards sports media digital platform, both of which we will get the skinny on imminently. Welcome, Nick, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? I'm well, thank you, Andrew. Uh, I'm in Toronto, uh, born and raised, one of the few lucky ones that can claim that they were born in Toronto and actually end up playing uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs. At the time, I think I was the 88th player in history to do that. So I walk out the door, I see kids playing road hockey, and I tell them, I don't like your chances of playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. The (laughs) odds are that (laughs) remote, but I don't want to squash your dream, so you keep going. But all kidding aside, I'm doing well, uh, fortunate enough to uh, still be in the, the business all these years. Uh, it's never felt a, a day of work in my life, so uh, I'm very blessed. Excellent. Well, we're going to talk about all of that. May I ask, what part of town you live in, and who makes up the Kiprios household these days? Uh, well, uh, Midtown in the city, which uh, really makes it convenient either to get to the uh, the Rogers studio or down at the Scotiabank arena for a, a leaf game. I'm a subway guy. I have no problems jumping on uh, a subway uh, midtown and getting downtown as well. So I appreciate uh, that, that part of the city. And right now it's just my wife and I, and we've got uh, three beautiful children. Uh, they're out and about uh, getting their education. So we are empty nesters and uh, working on a few projects, uh, Besides my broadcasting that I do daily on uh, on five, uh, Fan 590 and uh, the Sportsnet uh, uh, television network, and uh, it, it's all good, Andrew. Excellent. Well, empty nester, but how many of the three are off the payroll? <laughs> they tell me uh, they're never really off the payroll, ever. So um, I'm, I'm preparing for that. That's what they say, never off the payroll. Now, I can't imagine how many hockey games you watch every single night. But I want to ask you, how crazy was the recent Frozen Frenzy in which all 32 NHL teams were for the first time ever playing on the same day, which, by the way, featured a whopping 102 goals scored in one day? Yeah, I think it was a a, a successful experiment. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I some Saturday nights, there's 26, 28 teams playing, and and we've had many experiences at Hockey Night in Canada of a of a frozen frenzy. So I I don't know if it's uh, more an American thing than it is uh, in Canada, but uh, you know we live and breathe the sport daily, so uh, we have frenzies all week long. It it, it seems like, but uh, good on ESPN for trying something different and promoting the game. Excellent. Well. Let's go all the way back, get the Nick Kiprios story. As you alluded, you're living the dream, that rare dream of hometown boy playing for the Leafs. Where were you born? And uh, describe your upbringing. Well, uh, right in the city. Uh, I think a more typical immigrant uh, scenario that, uh, you know, our, our, our great city of Toronto or 
our great country will allow. Uh, my parents both came from Greece at a very young age. And, uh, you know, once they were here, they, uh, they were living the dream as well. And the dream back then, you know, in, in the, in the fifties and the sixties was just about an opportunity. So my father, uh, and his brothers ultimately ended up in, in the restaurant business and watching them daily as a, as a kid growing up, you appreciate the work ethic and the commitment and, uh, what it takes to, to raise a family. And, uh, I try to instill all of those, th- those life lessons that, uh, my mom and dad taught me and, and applied it in, in the game of hockey. So I was fortunate enough to, uh, go through the minor systems here in Toronto and get to the point where I could leave home at age 16 and 17 and try to fulfill a dream. And, uh, to this day, I still feel like I'm a kid in a candy store covering the game of hockey and like I said, it's never really felt like a, I've worked a day in my life doing what, what I love to do. Well, let's talk about that stage of leaving home. Coming out of your minor hockey in Toronto, you were chosen fourth in the Ontario Hockey League draft by the Kitchener Rangers. But devastatingly, you were literally the last cut coming out of training camp. So Kitchener loaned you out to their affiliate in Tier 2 Junior Hockey in Mississauga, the now defunct Dixie Beehives. Nick, you were there only three weeks, just getting settled in when you got traded to the North Bay Centennials, which got your mom really upset. Do you recall what your mom's two issues were? Yeah, my mom's issues were that uh, I was almost headed to the North Pole. You know, it's so funny today. We talk about my kids today being spread out all over, you know, North America. I've got one studying in, in, in France and she had a problem with me going three hours north of Toronto to North Bay, and she often regarded it as where the wolves hang out. And I'd like tell her, "No, Mom, that's Sudbury Wolves. I'm a North Bay Centennial." Uh, but once she kind of get got over the initial shock of me going uh, up north, you know, she she understood how much it meant to me and how how much I I wanted the opportunity to be a hockey player and to try it and ultimately knowing that I had their support and knowing that if if it did fail, then they wouldn't make me feel like I would be coming home with my tail between my legs. So uh, I, I thought I was covered in that aspect that uh, if, if it didn't work out, it was on me and I'd be welcomed home and I could pick up where I left off prior to trying it. And uh, as long as I had their love and support, uh, I always felt uh, I, I couldn't go wrong. Well, knowing your mom had these concerns, Nick, I like what you did. Like any tough hockey player in your situation, you had your mommy call the coach in North Bay, the late, great Burt Templeton. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And to this day, I'm 57 years old. If I have any problems, I, I get my mom to call and uh, she could still fix everything, which is which is great. Uh, but... Uh, uh, that was an interesting call because you, you you don't get anywhere at that age without the blessing and the stamp of approval from your parents, and and that was ultimately the most important thing. And to this credit, the late Bird Templeton, who uh, you know I had so much admiration for as a as a hockey coach, as a a, a mentor, as a a teacher really made it uh, abundantly clear uh, what the the goals and the focus were for me to go to North Bay. And uh, there's only two things my mom wanted to hear. Number one was that uh, 
education was very important while I was up there and I'd be in high school and, you know, I'd have the opportunity to continue my education and, and graduate. And, uh, number two was that, uh, you know, I was, I was looked after, uh, that, uh, uh, I was going to be in a position where, uh, there'd be a family involved and, uh, she wouldn't have to worry, uh, every night. And, uh, Bert did a terrific job of, uh, making her, uh, comfortable and making her feel secure. And, uh, and, and, and really that was it. The focus was on education, care, and, uh, and fulfilling my dream of, uh, wanting to be a hockey player. Now, you were not drafted to the NHL, hence the name of your autobiography, Undrafted. But Nick, you did get a PTO or professional tryout offer from the Philadelphia Flyers, and you successfully left that training camp with a contract. Yes, and uh, it's something that uh, it came fast and furious. Uh, I, I wasn't even expecting really to uh, to take part in, a, in an NHL training camp at the age of 18 because I was bypassed by the NHL draft and uh and all teams involved but i got a call from the philadelphia flyers and bob clark in particular and it was uh one of those calls where you're not even sure if you're really talking to the great bobby clark or someone's pulling a fast one on you Uh, but uh, uh thank thank goodness it was uh legit and by september i was on my way to philadelphia uh with uh the thought of uh, fulfilling a dream and you know the hard part was not putting your autograph book in in your bag uh because all those heroes that you've watched uh, throughout the years on television were now live and in person uh, right in front of your face and that's not easy some some kids are a lot more mature andrew and can handle it and then there's others that need some time to absorb it and, and, and slowly mature into the thought and belief that the guys that you watched on TV, now you were about to become one of them. And, uh, that was an, that was a, that was a, a long transition. Like I said, some, some, some kids can see it faster and, uh, make the necessary adjustments, uh, and others, it takes a little while. And for me, it probably took about another four or five years before I truly felt that, uh, Uh, I can compete with them on an even level. Well, I could see how you could be starstruck in that situation. Now, Nick, you actually played a few games for the Flyers' American Hockey League affiliate, the Hershey Bears, before you went back to North Bay to finish off your junior eligibility, and then back to Hershey, where you had great success with a Calder Cup championship in 1988. The Hershey Bears have been called the New York Yankees of the American Hockey League. What was so great about playing and winning a Calder Cup in Hershey, Pennsylvania? Well, I was fortunate enough to play with two original six teams in the National Hockey League in, in New York and Toronto, and uh, it, it, it to this day it's still it it's night and day in terms of uh, you know, from one club to the next, and it's just that history that you absorb instantaneously once you put on that uniform, and it was no different, Andrew, in Hershey, putting on uh, the Bears uniform and walking in Hershey Park Arena and looking at all the amazing pictures of uh, of great players, the black and white pictures, and what it's meant to, the great game of hockey is meant to Hershey and Rochester and some of those franchises that are still around today. We had a veteran team, 
so winning was the utmost important. There's a lot more emphasis today on development than it was back then. Uh, but I had the sense of being one of the younger players on that team at the time. But uh, but knowing what winning a, a championship meant to the organization, and uh, we went to work right away. And I was very fortunate in, early in my professional career to to experience a an important hockey championship. And this is this is the second best league in the world. You know, I'm, I'm not sure where people feel about the KHL. Uh, in the last few years, but in my era, this was the second best hockey league in the world. And to win a championship there really helped me mentally, physically, emotionally uh, move on to the next level. Well, a Calder Cup championship is huge. Nick, you then go to training camp with the Flyers, but because of an eligibility technicality, you're put on waivers where you get claimed by the Washington Capitals. Lo and behold, a few days later, you make your NHL debut for the Washington Capitals against, wait for it, the very same Philadelphia <laughs> Flyers you had just left behind and all those guys you had played with, either in Hershey yeah. or training camp, your head must have been spinning. Not, Yeah, it was spinning. And to hear you, you, you you're getting chirped by, uh, by Rick Tockett and Tim Kerr and all these guys that you just spent eight weeks with training on and off the ice and having meals and getting to the, know them like you get to know your family member. Definitely uh, surreal, but one of those moments where you're like, okay, get it out of your head and just go play the game that you played since you were seven years old. Let all of that just kind of come into play. And there's only one time that you can play your first NHL game. So uh, just try to make the most of it, but easier said than done. Uh, that's for sure. But uh, a wonderful experience. Uh, Proud to have been a member of the Washington Capitals. Proud to uh, still go visit uh, them today as an alumni and uh, and seeing old teammates. Uh, it's just a, a wonderful uh, city, and uh, I'm, I'm so proud to have started my career in Washington. So you made your NHL debut with Washington, and Nick, your first NHL fight happened when Robert Dirk took a run at your best player, Dino the Dog Cicerelli, and you thought this was a good chance to show you were going to be a good teammate. Nick, did you not notice that Robert Dirk was not a small man? <laughs> yeah, uh, always a little too late I realized these things, Andrew. Uh, but it was a defining moment to know that uh, at the time, our, our, our team and our organization, Washington, was always kind of inferior to the bigger, heavier teams like the Philadelphia Flyers. And it was a welcomed addition for someone to kind of stand up for teammates. And I'll never forget the feeling that uh, at the time the head coach, Brian Murray, made me feel like that that was uh, great. This is something that's been missing from my teams over the years. And, uh, you know, if, if you can uh, stand up for some of our better players, then, uh, you know, we're going to be better off for it. And, you know, I'm not a dumb guy. I can understand that that equates to more employment, a better chance to stay, better chance to make more money, better chance to fulfill my dreams. So uh, it was uh, it was a good 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 early learning lesson. And I'm not advocating people go out there and just try to fight to to hold a job. We know the game has changed; it's evolved. Skill has never been more important. 
but uh, at least at that time, I, I did identify it as a need and uh, and a way for me to stay in the league. The great Washington Capitol sniper Peter Bondra is one of only five eligible 500 goal scorers not currently in the Hockey Hall of Fame. But when he scored his very first NHL goal, Nick, you were his line mate but apparently it was not easy for you to ride shotgun and protect him. You had to keep up with him. <laughs> yeah, I was just with him uh, about a month ago uh, in Washington as we all got together. And uh, what an incredible talent. I'll never forget uh, the first practice we saw him uh, come in and, uh, you know, Alan Mays telling me, let's see uh, let's see how fast he is when I put my uh, my elbow in his chops. And I'm like, Alan, you can't catch him to put your elbow in his chops. So uh, uh, we, we knew right away he was destined for great things uh, as a player. And uh, did I think 500 were on, on the horizon? No, but I, I, I knew there, there, there'd there be many. Um, but uh, he's had a wonderful career and should be uh, considered for a Hall of Fame position. I agree 100%. Now, you had a couple of good years with the Capitals and then were traded to the Hartford Whalers, where you had some great years as an everyday playing power forward. But it was the post-Ron Francis, post-Kevin Deneen era in Hartford. You were not playing in front of 15,000 people. Nick, did you get the feeling things were kind of winding down for the NHL in Hartford? Well, I think, yeah, the the big picture, Andrew, was, yeah, it was really challenging times. But uh, again, at that point, I'm in the NHL. And I'm having success, and I'm still having a blast. And it, it it's a great town, and you know, in its heyday, there's no question it was a legit NHL franchise. And you mentioned uh, all some of the great names that have played there, but it just seemed when some of them were on their way out, so were uh, the loyal fan base. And we know in this uh, industry that. Uh, you know, ultimately, as great of a sport it is, it's all about the money. It's all about the cash for some of these owners. And if it's not going to be in Hartford, then let's move it to Carolina. But I had a, an amazing, amazing experience in Hartford and still have some very good friends in that community. And I'll never forget what I considered my best NHL year. You mentioned it, uh, had uh, 17 goals. And I think at the time I was third or fourth in penalty minutes in the league and uh I really got a lot of attention uh that particular year enough to get myself traded to uh, a Stanley Cup contending team in New York so everything sometimes has a reason for for working uh, itself out and this one led me to New York City it sure did you then got traded to the Big Apple as you know joining Mark Messier and Brian Leach on a New York Rangers team coached by Iron Mike Keenan, that had not won the Stanley Cup in 54 years. Hey, that sounds like another hockey town we all might know, but I will not digress. Now, playing for an original six team in that city at that time, Nick, how great was your Manhattan experience? Yeah, as as good as you can imagine, Andrew. Uh, you know, this is the Big Apple. This is the biggest stage, I think, in, in the world, if it if it if you really want to talk about uh, Broadway or sports or the finance uh, world, it doesn't get any bigger than New York City. So they they love their hockey, and you got to understand too that uh, when you're talking about the New York Yankees and the Mets and the Knicks and the Giants, you got to work hard to 
to keep your 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 place or your niche uh, with the sports world uh, in, in in New York City, and uh, we were able to do that because we had uh, at the time Mark Messier had already been traded there from Edmonton, and uh, he had a few of his buddies come in that had multiple Stanley Cups, and that the one thing that kept uh, the Rangers from I think winning year after year was just uh, the the true belief that uh, you could do it. And there's no greater guy in the world for that than Mark Messier and the credibility that he brought instant to, instantly to New York City. And he made believers out of all of uh, us foot soldiers that just said, uh, Mark, just tell us where to stand, tell us where to go, and, and we'll do it for you because we believe that you can you can make us all winners. And that's what happened in uh, in June of 1994. I know everybody wants to ask you about Stanley Cup championship celebrations, but I want to ask you, what celebrities do you remember showing up to share in the festivities? Oh, gosh, it was never short of, of celebrities, Andrew. This is, again, uh, uh, New York City, so uh, uh, it was always fun to be in a restaurant with uh, Robert De Niro, and uh, yet uh, probably half the restaurant was buzzing you know, around Marc Messier than they were about... <laughs> You know, Rob De Niro, but uh, you know, it's every time you looked up in the stands, you'd see a dozen of them. But uh, just being a part of them, and you know, there's such admiration between I think entertainers and athletes and rock stars that uh, you know the great city of uh, of New York is never short of that. So uh, uh, once we got in a position of of winning, um, more of them came out and. More of us had fun. Excellent. Well, if that Stanley Cup experience wasn't great enough, you then got to live the dream by becoming what at the time, and I fact-checked you, Nick, you're 100% right, you were the only the 88th Toronto-born kid in history to play for his hometown Toronto Maple Leafs, and you got to play at the original, the one and only Maple Leaf Gardens on Carlton Street. How surreal was it to put on that Maple Leafs jersey for the first time? Yeah, um, it was like, Christmas. It was like opening up uh, a present uh, on December 25th, where it's like, did you get this from Eaton's or Simpson's? <laughs> did you order from a catalog? No, it's the real thing, and you're you're playing. It's sometimes you can get overwhelmed, Andrew. I, I can tell you that, and uh, I, I like to consider myself someone grounded and never get caught too high or, or too low but uh there are some times i just look down at my chest and go uh is this is this true um but you know once you get past that you understand that uh whether it's a leaf or a hartford whaler new york ranger uh there's expectations you got a job to do and uh you better go out and do it and uh, at the time they had tremendous success. They know they didn't get to a Stanley Cup final, but they were awfully close with the likes of Gilmore, you know, Felix Potvan, Todd Gill, uh, Anderchuk. Uh, they had some great runs, and we were hoping to extend it a little bit in the mid-'90s, but uh, Father Time can catch up to a, a lot of hockey clubs, and uh, unfortunately, the transition had started. Kirk Muller was traded. Dave Anderchuk was traded, Doug Gilmore was traded, uh, Todd Gill was traded, and uh, unfortunately we couldn't we couldn't bring it home. But uh, 
Oh, it's still an amazing experience, Andrew, and and one that kind of led me towards other things, even post-career. I, I did suffer a, uh, a bad uh, concussion towards the end. I made the conscious decision of uh, retiring rather than holding on. Uh, still fairly young at uh, 32, 33 years of age, uh, but I think ultimately I can look back here at uh, age 57 and tell you it was definitely the right decision. I, I'm glad you don't take it for granted because I'm always going to be jealous of you, Nick. I too looked down at my chest and saw the Maple Leaf, but indeed it was the jersey from Eaton's. Uh, it was a glorious <laughs> Salming replica, but uh, I thought I was having a good time, so I can't even imagine how you felt. Now, I'm going to assume that what also made your hometown experience so special was that your family and the entire Greek community really got behind you. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, and it's something that I just, I felt from the moment I put on my first pair of skates at uh, uh, at seven years of age, and we were always very close family. And you know, the old saying is, it, it takes a village to raise a child. And if my dad was working and couldn't take me to practice, my uncle Tom would, my uncle Pete would, my uncle Jim, my uncle George, whatever, whoever could do it uh, would, would take me. So I, I really felt throughout my minor hockey career, my junior career, or my pro career that uh, every, everybody came along for the ride. And it's a wonderful feeling. And to ultimately put your name on the Stanley Cup is, I think, uh, the greatest way I could, uh, you know, thank all the Kiprioses around. And even, you know, my mom's side of the family, who we, you know, we have different last names, uh, they were along for the ride as well. So that's the beauty of the Stanley Cup. It just, it doesn't even get your your first name on there is just an initial and then it's your last name and that represents not only you but everybody that stood by you all those years. That's a fabulous way to say it. You're absolutely right. Now, Nick, you mentioned it. I hope you don't mind me talking a little more about it because I think it's an important part of your story. As a Maple Leaf, your career had a very traumatic end as a result of a concussion sustained in a fight with the New York Rangers' Ryan Vandenbush in a preseason game on September 15th 1997, when you were punched unconscious and then subsequently you hit the ice face first. How do you look back on that terrible incident now, more than 25 years later? Yeah, probably the same. No different that ultimately, whether it was me back then or the players today that uh, were playing a, a high risk sport where unfortunately, you know, people can get hurt. And for many people, that's maybe part of the appeal, uh, no different than watching a F1 race or, or football or any contact sport where you can't envision yourself playing it. And that's why maybe you pay $200 a ticket to go see it. We're, we're constantly at risk, but we love the game so much and we get so much out of it, Andrew, that uh, sometimes we're willing to, to take those risks. And uh, even today, to hear the tragedy of uh, uh, the ex-NHLer who lost his life to a, a skate blade, and knowing that uh, he was out there playing and loving a sport uh, and had the passion to, to go out there every day and enjoy it. Uh, but there's a constant reminder, whether it's my injury years ago or, or the one that uh, 
we witnessed this week. This is a dangerous game at times, uh, but we love it and uh, we're willing to put it on the line. And um, for me, it, it had a happier ending. And uh, if there's ways that we can still make the game safer, let's do it. But understand that th- there's no amount of safe out there for for players uh, at that speed and uh, uh, with skate blades. And uh, part of the reason why we love it, part of the reason why we can sometimes be very frustrated with it as well, especially when lives are lost. Now, in your autobiography called Undrafted, published in 2000, you wrote, quote, although I don't regret the way I played, I regret the way some things turned out, unquote. Did the way that final fight played out change in any way your views on the role of fighting in hockey? Uh, yeah, somewhat. You know, once you step away year after year, it's less of a, an emotional uh, look outlook and more of a practical one. You become... Uh, removed, you become a parent, you watch your kids play the game and you, you're asking questions on, is that necessary? Why was it necessary when I didn't have children? Why do I look at it differently today? I don't want anybody to get hurt. Um, but it's still, uh, an element of the game that, uh, I think some people still can have an appreciation for if you, if you dive in deep on on what it does or what it represents uh, whether or not you think that uh, it, it links to keeping the sticks down or it gives the players an opportunity to police themselves I, I do still all these years later Andrew see some value in that but I I can also tell you that it's it's less valuable than when I was in the league and it's it's kind of waning itself out i mean the the fighting has gone down so much since i played and it's kind of gone down on its own organically because the players are dictating when they want to do it how they want to do it and it's been less and less every year so i i'm i'm happy for that i'm happy that some players don't have the anxiety out there that my teammates had or or I had on occasion to think oh my gosh I gotta actually drop my gloves and close my fist and try to hit this guy and he's gonna try to do the same thing and hurt me and you know it's not it's not not a great feeling but the good news is it's less and less and uh, who knows maybe in another few years five years they take it out all together taking something out when it's almost gone is a lot easier than, than doing it like, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when everybody was doing it. So I think it's just, it's evolved to, to almost not being, uh, you know, consequential at all in our game. Well, the game does continue to evolve. If you're enjoying this trial legends interview with Nick Kiprios, please check out the more than 175 additional episodes available anytime. We got other Maple Leafs like Rick Vive, Ken Reggett, Alan Bester, Chris Versteeg, and Kent Manderville, as well as other broadcasters, including Nelson Millman, John Shannon, Jesse Fuchs, and James Sharman. How they did it directly from the Toronto Legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7, 365, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Nick, you formally retired in 1998 at age 32 after an eight-season, nearly 500-game NHL career, 
and finishing your career in the center of the hockey universe in Toronto was fortunate as it opened up your post-playing career as a broadcaster. You quickly became a hockey insider and a newsbreaker at Sportsnet because you had such great relationships with current players. In fact, your bosses egged you on all the time. Hey, Nick, phone some of your boys and dig up some stories. Did it feel okay calling your old teammates for stories or was it awkward towards maintaining your friendships with them? I think awkward's a good word, Andrew, uh, for sure. Uh, but they were supportive of me starting a new career and uh, starting a new family. So they were very accommodating. Matt Sandin, maybe one of the best. Uh, Eric Lindros, they never said no when I asked them for interviews. And, uh, you know, it did put me ahead of some journalists that had been around for many, many years, but did not have that uh, those contacts or, or, or those type of relationships. So I treated it, Andrew, like I did when I played the game. And it's like, okay, what does the team need? Team needs a big hit. They may need uh, a big fight. They may need a, a, a big goal. I'll, I'll, I'll try to give you whatever you need for our team to be successful. And I took that philosophy and I applied it to Sportsnet. So yes, I was able to make some calls, uh, break some stories, and uh, also, uh, you know, put my 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 new station, which everybody kind of questioned whether or not they could even coexist, and whether or not they'd be out of business or not in a few years, a, ch- a chance to compete. That's what I wanted to do: is is show everybody that uh, you know we can we can be a, a very strong sports station uh, that can rival at the time the number one, of course, was TSN. Well, I love it. Team first. I always like your attitude. Now, Nick, you actually were supposed to get fired from Sportsnet after your first year, but you didn't actually get fired. You want to share that crazy story? Well, I I, I had struggled at times. I'd be nervous. I'd forget names. And uh, I got to the position where I don't think uh, my boss was very comfortable with me moving forward. But in saying that, uh, the thought of me getting fired uh, had leaked in the media. And my boss was so upset that it leaked in the media, he actually decided to hold on to me to to make the person that uh, reported the story uh, look bad, if you can believe it. And just in, in that little kind of sequence, I was able to kind of hold on to my job, but be in a position to do a lot less than I did my first year. And it turned out, Andrew, to be a, a blessing in disguise because... It gave me a chance to take a deeper breath and and do a lot of things uh, the the right way and uh, one of the right ways to to learn on on the spot is not do live television. They actually taped a lot of the stuff that I did. So if in fact uh, I didn't like it or the producer didn't like it, we we do it over again. Of course, you can't do that with live television. So in many ways, my my second year should have been my first year, and my first year should have been my second year. Uh, but, uh, that didn't work out that way, but I was able to turn year two into year 22. So ultimately it did work out and I had to, I had to thank the, uh, uh, the writer who, who wrote the story that I was about to be fired. Uh, he ultimately saved my job, if you can believe it. Was kind of a blessing. Well, as you say, you, you did less, but you got better. And as you know, you had a, very long career that obviously continues today. 
Now, we can't talk Nick Kiprios without talking about your friend and colleague, Doug McLean, a past guest on this podcast and currently a best-selling author of the book Draft Day along with Scott Morrison. Now, Doug says that you were 50% responsible for him getting into broadcasting after his time in management ended with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And in fact, your relationship goes all the way back to the 1989 season with the American Hockey League's Baltimore Skipjacks. Please share your relationship with Doug McLean. <laughs> so if 50% uh, viewers don't like Doug McLean, do they blame me for the 50% of uh, bringing him in as a broadcaster? All kidding aside, uh, yeah, Doug's uh, a dear friend, and uh, we first uh, uh, worked together with the Washington Capitals organization. He was an associate coach to Brian Murray, and uh, a guy that I uh, leaned on from day one. I knew of his personality. I knew of his sense of humor. I knew of his uh, outlook, and, you know, once, uh, you know, I had a couple of hiccups there where we ended up... uh, I ended up having a, a minor surgery and ended up going down to Baltimore at the time where he was uh, also involved with the, the minor league affiliated team. He reassured me that uh, I do well in the NHL and I'd be back up in the NHL. And uh, yeah, his his words spoke truth. So um, just a, a good guy. Our game has some good guys in it and he's, he's right in there with his... Uh, his honesty, his integrity, his credibility, and uh, I'm sure the book is uh, is doing very well because his his name's first and foremost on it. Excellent. Well, shout out to Doug McLean for sure. Now, neither here nor there, Nick, we should mention that way back in 1996, you really stretched your acting chops by appearing as a professional hockey player in an episode of the greatly underrated and underappreciated HBO series Arliss, which starred Robert Wool. How was your television acting experience, and do you still get residual checks? You know what's funny, Andrew, is that uh, my wife and I saw it the other night on Crave, and just for uh, giggles, we turned it on, and uh, oh my gosh, that's like uh, another lifetime ago, but uh, you know, one of those opportunities again from uh, just being in the National Hockey League, I, I got a call from two producers in uh out of California that said uh, if I'd be interested in a, a small role in uh, in an episode uh, uh, around ho- professional hockey. And uh, at the time, uh, they said the other athlete was uh, Kobe Bryant. And, uh, of course, you know, Kobe is one of the best basketball players in history today. But uh, his episode, uh, uh, it was my episode, which I'm so honored uh, to have been a part of uh, but it was it was fun uh, Sandra O oh, another great Canadian actress uh, uh, played a, a key role in it and I got a chance to spend the day with her and talk Canada and acting NHL and uh, it was just a, a wonderful experience uh, I guess they were so impressed with my first scene on the ice with Robert uh, I do remember them saying, can you stick around tomorrow? We want to do a, a second scene with you in a press conference. And I'm like, uh, talk to my agent. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> now it's time to talk Nick Kiprios, the entrepreneur, with not one but two ongoing ventures. Uh, with your wife, Anne-Marie, you started a beverage company called Little Buddha Cocktail Company. What is 
the Little Buddha Cocktail Company. And, and why did you jump into a very competitive uh, beverage? Yes. Well, it was uh, during the pandemic and uh, we just felt that there was a, uh, an opportunity. And of course, all these uh, these canned drinks were coming out uh, and we sat around uh, with the friends of ours, uh, our daughters, our schoolmates at the time. And we just started discussing the drinks and what we liked and what we didn't like. And we said, do you think we could make one? And uh, sure enough, uh, my wife and uh, a friend of mine's wife uh, didn't let it go and uh, started uh, doing their due diligence on what it would take. And one thing led to another. And the next thing you know, we were pitching the LCBO here in Ontario for uh, a grilled pineapple and rosemary cocktail, which was all organic, uh, no sugar, premium vodka uh, at four percent, gluten free. We we checked all the boxes that we would th- we we thought would make a a drink with better better ingredients. And uh, here we are, three years later, four years later, and uh, you know we're still at it. And uh, we've got some drinks now in in Florida and in Texas, so we'll see how that goes. But to your point, very competitive market. Uh, we're just Andrew Little Minnow swimming amongst sharks, and we're just trying to not to not get eaten alive by the by the uh, the great white. But uh, you know whether or not we sell one or or ten million, uh, uh, it's been an incredible experience. Uh, you know, seeing that part of the uh, the business world. Well, as the great philosopher Dory always says, just keep swimming. Now, your second venture is a sports gaming app called Next Rewards that encourages live sporting interaction that is risk-free because there is no gambling money involved. Two years in the making, what is Next Rewards? Well, Next Rewards is exactly what you said. It's uh, it's a live in-game uh, mobile app that allows you to participate uh, while the game goes on. Uh, we have... Uh, uh, an algorithm that fires off 10 questions uh, in each game. And if you guess correctly, you earn reward points. So roughly two and a half, three years ago, uh, we all knew that there was going to be this big wave of legalized sports betting. And uh, we decided to kind of pivot and kind of go the other way. We said, if, if there's going to be a, uh, a huge wave towards real gambling, who's going to Who's going to take care of the people that don't want to gamble? Why can't they participate in in guessing correctly in live sports? Uh, uh, why do they have to sit on the sidelines? So we we did this for them. Our research, Andrew, states that uh, still only about twenty percent of people that are, are watching the games are actually uh, gambling with real money, which means that there's eight percent that that aren't. And we wanted to focus on the uh, 80% that weren't gambling. So we did it with reward points. In this country, it seems like everybody's got reward points in their wallets or their purse. They like to collect points. If you guess correctly, you, you, you earn points. You go to our catalog, which includes Tim Hortons, Starbucks, uh, uh, Home Depot, uh, Winners, uh, you know, uh, Indigo books and, 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 and earn five, 10, $25 gift certificates just for, for guessing correctly in live sports. So that's, that's the focus and the gist of it. And of course, you know, it allows the corporate world who do not want to participate in, in live betting to 
uh, engaged uh, with their customers. So we're bringing brands to the to to their customers, and the customers feel like they're getting something for nothing. Then it's a win-win. So it's next rewards. And if you use my promo code Andrew of Kipper nineteen, I'll start you off with two hundred and fifty points. Excellent. Well, you are definitely a busy guy, Dick. I think we covered it all. Let's close with this. Where can we best follow you for your hockey commentary? And where can we best follow your Little Buddha Cocktail Company and Next Rewards Ventures? Oh, well, it's uh, let's start with uh, Next Rewards, uh, nextrewards.app to download it. Uh, but uh, go to uh, your app, uh, any app store and, and download it. And again, use my promo code KIPPER19. We'll get you 250 points. Uh, Little Buddha uh, Cocktail Company. Just, you know, again, Google Little Buddha Cocktail Company and uh, it'll take you right to our website. And uh, Real Kipper has been my Twitter or my X handle for for many, many years. And uh, also Instagram, at Nick Kipperios. So uh, I'm not sure of ways to follow me. And of course, Real Kipper, I'm born daily from 4 to 6 p.m. I can be seen nationally as well on Sportsnet. So, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, Andrew. I'm keep keeping it going. And uh, you mentioned my book as well uh, that I put out uh, maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, called Undrafted. And uh, it's a, it's from Simon & Schuster. And again, uh, you can, can order it from Chapters, Indigo, uh, any of your, your major branches. Fabulous. Always busy. Nick Kiprios keeps busy. I want to thank you for your time. It was great uh, getting to know you better and to hear all your stories and uh, continued success with all your projects. Andrew, the same to you with Toronto Legends. Thanks thanks for making time for me. It's been my pleasure. And to the listeners, on behalf of Nick Kiprios, I am Andrew Applebaum saying thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.